Hello, and welcome back to another edition of Analyzing Blitz Scalable Deals. I'm here with my partner, Scott Johnson of Blitz Scaling Ventures. And today we are going to be looking at deals that were announced in March of 2022. So Scott, how busy are we going to be today? How many do we have? Well, it's been a busy month. Uh, we had our LP meeting last month. Uh, sorry, just a couple of weeks ago. And so, you know, we've, we've been personally busy, but everybody else seems to have been busy also because we have 166 deals done in total. And that, sorry, not done, announced. And remember the distinction there is deals sometimes never get announced and sometimes they are announced much later than they actually happen. But for purposes of apples to apples, when we compare month to month and compare activity, we've been using the deal announced date and 166 is a lot. So I think it's it's largely true that they do correspond to the day, the time they get done. And that means that activity is still strong. So there's a lot of talk about a venture slowdown. And I think I do see it, but I don't see it in the numbers here. What do you have to say about that, Chris? Well, I guess you could say there is a slowdown because in some of the previous months, we got as high as 190 deals. So it is lower, but we are still considerably above what we viewed as the pre-pandemic baseline of about 100 deals a month. So there continues to be a lot of money. There continues to be a lot of deals. Perhaps the valuations have come down some. We've seen some evidence of that in the marketplace and the companies that we follow, but things are still happening. So if things are still happening, then there's still plenty of deals to be talked about. So yeah, what's the first deal on our list? So we have one, two, three, four, five to talk about today. And the first one is a company called Disco. And Disco, I'll let you describe it in a minute. I'm going to describe the round. It's a Series A round that's 20 million in size. And Felicis Ventures has led it. And when Felicis does a deal, we pay attention. And this one is really cool. Chris, what do they do? Well, this is interesting. So Scott, both you and I are mature. And so we remember the old days of the original dot-com boom. And one of the great successes of the original dot-com boom was Link Exchange. And what Link Exchange did is it allowed independent websites to put a Link Exchange banner on their website. And what would happen is for every two banners they showed on Link Exchange, it, they would get their website ad showed on a different website. And it was a great way to build up an audience. And Link Exchange then turned around and sold the excess banners to advertisers. And the whole thing was purchased relatively early on by Microsoft for $400 million after they had bootstrapped it the entire way. And this is actually where the original fortune of the late Tony Shea, as well as his co-founder, Alfred Lin, came from. Uh, they were originally the founders of Link Exchange, and then he created Venture Frogs, and it became Zappos, and all the wonderful things that happened from there. But the basic business model still makes sense. In the case of Disco, it's not independent websites and traffic. It's now independent e-commerce merchants and the ability to build up a network of people with whom you can cross-sell. One of the big things that you're at a disadvantage with when it comes to being an independent merchant is unlike Amazon, you don't have an infinite number of SKUs and complementary products to cross-sell. But Disco allows you to have that. You're able to put forward various deals from other merchants on the platform. And of course, they curate the platform carefully, which does impose some limitations on size. But nonetheless, uh, you are able to have a very curated set of partners 
of whose offers you can op put up in front of your customers. And the result is you're able to sell more. Uh, obviously, that results in sales for the partners. You get money, they get more sales, your stuff gets sold in other places. And it just makes a lot of sense. Once you have a customer who's actually going to buy something and is making their way through the purchase path and you have a chance at the last minute to attach something else to their shopping cart, that's a really powerful moment because it costs so much money and it's so difficult to get a customer to actually select your little e-commerce site and pick the product that you're selling, not switch back to Amazon, but actually buy it from you. You got to take full advantage of that moment in time. And that's what Disco enables these companies to do. And so talk about the network effects. I think they're really strong. Yes, they are very strong because if you think about it, the whole definition of network effects is for each additional user, the value to each individual user increases. So in this case, let's consider the merchants. For each additional merchant, not only are they bringing more selection, which is valuable, but they're bringing more traffic, which is also valuable. Now, mind you, the traffic per merchant stays roughly the same because you're adding a merchant they're bringing their traffic but they're also consuming additional traffic themselves but that traffic becomes more and more broad-based so you're bringing in new users which is the most important thing of all because you want to acquire new users over time so those are two strong reasons why the network effect is going to increase and it will continue to increase as you add more merchants now admittedly there is some limit on the overall size which is why our market size is only a nine instead of a ten because you don't want to go to every single merchant in the world if that's the case, there's a lot of conflict, it starts to dilute the value. In order to maintain the high value, you have to be very careful in curation. But if you are careful in curation, you can maintain a very good winner-take-most market score. That's true. And then there's this, another sort of ancillary network effect, which is that as you get more SKUs and you learn more about what sells well next to what, or what type of person buys more things of what kind. I, I think there's a lot of, there's sort of an AI layer here that you can apply. And if you have a lot of transactions, that's going to keep getting smarter and smarter, smarter. So there's, it just feels like there's two aspects of the network effect that make it a 10 out of 10. Yeah. Now the viral growth or distribution, we only gave it an eight. There's no active virality. It is the case that because you're seeing these various offers pop up, I think that what will happen is merchants themselves do buy things online. We all do. And as they continue to run into disco offers, they might think, hey, why don't I add this to my own thing? And there are, of course, other ways to work by going through partners like Spotify that act as a channel. So that's great. There's definitely ways to do it, but it is not a fantastic viral thing. So we only gave it an eight out of 10. Yeah, it just doesn't explode on its own. There's work involved in, in scaling this business. Uh, product market fit. You know, all these retailers, they are eager to grow faster. And it's so hard to compete against Amazon in the first place that when something like this comes along, I, you know, I feel like this is going to be really something that they're going to cling to and, and try to leverage to grow. So product market fit, we gave it an eight. Uh, we haven't gone out and talked to a hundred e-commerce merchants, so we don't know for sure, but we do feel like it's got a good chance of hitting a lot of their sort of most important issues. Yeah. And as we described, market size is a nine. And then for the remainder, gross margin, org scalability, op scalability, we're talking about a pure software solution, 10 out of 10 for all of them, giving us a total score of 82, 
which clears our threshold of 80. Remember, 80 is the score we want to see in order to cross the threshold of blitz scalability. And conveniently enough, I actually ran into my friend Sandeep Pichu over at Felicis last week when I went to an event with the Prince of the Netherlands. And so I will follow up with him. And the next time I catch up with him, I will definitely ask him about Disco as well. Perfect, because, you know, they're going to have to do a Series B, and uh, it's something that we could well be interested in once we learn more about the company. Let's move on. So that was a great one. Uh, City Mall is next. Chris, describe City Mall. Yeah, so City Mall is a social commerce venture. It's not precisely like a Fossily, which is our portfolio company in Brazil. Fossily acts at like Pinduoduo as a group buying experience. And City Mall does tap into the group buying. There are groups of people forming on WhatsApp to buy things. But they act much more like a multi-level marketing kind of thing where individuals who are entrepreneurial form these buying groups and act as the fulfillment center for those buying groups. Also, uh, the thing about City Mall is it is taking on inventory, it is handling the goods, it has warehouses and everything like that, which does tend to eat into gross margin. But because they seem to be growing extremely rapidly, they do well on, on the viral growth or distribution, which helps power them to a good score. Yeah. So let's talk about, wait, first, let's talk about the round. So they raised $75 million and we have in here, uh, Excel India, we have General Catalyst, we have Norwest. I mean, they, they, that's a pretty strong group and it's a pretty good chunk of change that they raised for a company in India. And I think that's because what we saw in the articles we read was that they're the number of entrepreneurs or people who are putting these groups together is really growing and accelerating. So that's their key to growth. And they seem to have a model that's working. And when you figure out an e-commerce model that is social, that's working in a large market like India, it seems like a pretty exciting business. Absolutely. And what we saw in the press coverage was they indicated they're getting about 30% month over month growth, which certainly is very impressive. Now, we did not give them a full winner take most market score. So it's a nine instead of a 10 out of 10. And part of this reason is that it is largely a lot of very small local markets, right? You have these individual entrepreneurs putting together a group of 20, 30 people and doing the buying. It just doesn't get big enough to have a massive network effect. Obviously, you're going to gather a lot of these merchants together, but does having more merchants on the platform actually make it more valuable for the other merchants? Eh, not really, because that's more competition. So it's not clear that it's got a super strong winner-take-most market from a network effects argument. However, from a land grab argument, that's actually pretty good because the, the entrepreneurs are going out and assembling their groups. People will tend to be sticky. As with Fossily, most of the time when people start buying through City Mall, it's their first e-commerce experience. So it's a chance to grab new users, basically a land grab. So we gave them a 9 out of 10, despite the relatively poor network effects, because we felt like there were some decent land grab effects. Yeah. And, you know, have we ever given a land grab a 10 out of 10? I don't think we have. It's, no. a, it's an important reason to scale quickly. So we don't want to diminish the importance, but it just doesn't seem to rise to the level of super strong network effects when it comes to us getting excited about making investments. So it's uh, it's a nine out of 10. And it's, it's never as certain either. Like sure you have a moat when you are the first one there, but there's always a way that somebody might be picking away at that over time. So it's, it's really hard to say that a strong network effect isn't a lot more interesting than a land grab opportunity. 
So nine out of 10 there, but on the other hand, viral growth and distribution, the multi-level marketing is super powerful. And I think a lot of people don't understand that because they don't really see the financials behind some of these multi-level marketing companies in the US, but boy, they grow really fast and they have, are enormously profitable. It is a great way to scale a business. And so we gave it a 10 out of 10. Absolutely. Next on the list is product market fit. Still uh, Series C, it's long pretty far. I mean, there are some issues where you, know, you have to somehow get rely on these end user entrepreneurs to do the fulfillment. And so, you know, you feel a little shaky on the product market fit there. We gave it an eight out of 10, which is good, but not great. Mm -hmm. Market size, we're talking about India, which is absolutely enormous. They are focused on the tier two and tier three cities and villages, as opposed to say the Mumbai's and the Bangalore's, because those are already fairly well served by e-commerce. But India is just so huge, it still remains an enormous potential market, 10 out of 10 on market size. But next up, we have gross margin. We gave them pretty low marks on that. Yeah, well, as you mentioned earlier, we have uh, inventory here. And so that's going to hit them on gross margin because, you know, it's, it's, it, we're talking about, you know, household goods uh, and food and the margins on those items are just not very good. And so if you're a marketplace, then you get to step back and call all of your take rate 100% gross margin business. However, if you're not a marketplace and these guys are not, and you actually have to go out and buy the stuff with working capital and 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 it's just it, it's it's a drag on scaling because you have logistics around that and it's a drag on your gross margin even though your contribution margin might be the same it's it's still a drag on the gross margin which is what this score is so we gave it a five out of ten there then next up for org scalability and ops scalability, well, geez, there's a lot of challenges here. There's an army of entrepreneurs. There's a larger number of first-time consumers of e-commerce. Boy, they're going to need some customer service along the way or, the way, or they're going to complain like crazy. And then operations, you've got to figure out warehousing and inventory. That's challenging too. So we gave them an 8 and a 7, but that is still enough to get them above the magical 80. They are at 81 we did say that this score was provisional because the entire website was in Hindi. So we had to rely purely on the various articles. And assuming we decide to move forward, probably reach out to some of our contacts in India to have them help us figure out what's going on. Yeah, but remember that when we score companies, those first two metrics, the winner take most and bio growth, that's the bulk of the score. And that's why this company was able to clear the bar. Next up is Protégé, and this is an interesting one, Chris. Yes, so this is one we actually discussed at our LP meeting, and it was the subject of much controversy. So what Protégé is, is essentially a marketplace, and you're able to tap into a community of very famous experts. But unlike other things we've looked at, so there's Cameo, for example, where you just straight up pay and, and get them to say something, or Mentor Cam, a company we talked about a number of months ago, where it's more of a mentor relationship, you pay up front and you just ask a mentor questions. The way Protégé works is it's ostensibly a way for you to be discovered through your talent. So DJ Khaled says, hey, I'm going to check out what people are doing in terms of their performance and give them feedback. But the way you do that is a combo either you win a popularity contest and get upvoted and become the person who is viewed and responded to or you pay money and you are able to be viewed and responded to now this is one which despite the score and we'll talk about the score in a second i hate and scott does not so <laughs> let's talk about that well so 
in my view, this is a wonderful distribution strategy. So you have a, a lot of, let's hope there will be one day be a lot, um, a lot of famous or almost famous people who really have some great experience and probably a ton of followers on TikTok and all the other social media platforms that matter. And they can say, look, if any of you are aspiring to be like me, then, you know, go through Protégé and we can interact directly. And I feel like that's a really cool distribution strategy and for winner take most. Well, you know, this is a network of people talking to other people. And so, you know, the, the, I think there's real value as the network grows. If you want advice from multiple people who've made it, made a good singing career or made a good influencer career or become um, anything, then you're going to have more selection of more of the type of people that you want. And you can even narrow it down further to, you know, specific areas of the world or, you know, so I think that's the scale of both sides of this matters because the artists on the other side and the, the influencers are going to want the most people so they can have the most economic opportunity, raise their prices as they get more demand. Uh, so I think there's a marketplace dynamic here. I think there's a great distribution strategy. I should, by the way, while I'm talking, I should say that Sequoia did this seed round and it's eight and a half million dollars. And so I just wanted to make sure everybody understood this was a Sequoia deal. Um, so yeah, so like I gave them a nine and a nine. And I think that um, Chris is about to raise an objection, which I would say is a product market fit objection where Correct. he's not sure. He's really like, anyway, you you go ahead and raise your objection. Yeah, well, let, let's, let, well, I'll come back to my objection just very quickly. Let's do the rest of the scoring. Market size is enormous. The number of wannabe famous people in this world is, is infinite. Gross margin, 10 out of 10. It's a take rate, electronic. There's no inventory. We're just collecting money. Org scalability, not perfect because you got to figure out a way to actually recruit the talent to the platform. And then ops scalability, this is really pretty trivial, 10 out of 10. All that added up together got it to 79, which was close, which means that so much hinges on the discussion of product market fit. So let's talk about that for a second. So Scott, why don't you read to people the list of investors in this deal for a second? Okay. Well, Chris mentioned DJ Khaled, and I believe he's on this list. Yep, there he is. So we have Ben Simmons. We have Brian Barnes. We have Chicago Ventures, DJ Khaled, Jason Alexander, Lionel Richie, Matt Maloney, Rock Nation, Sequoia, as I mentioned before, and Steve Galanis, Tony Zhu, TQ Ventures, and good old Will Smith, who uh, certainly is, is even more famous now than he was before. <laughs> All right. So this is a classic thing where they have taken a bunch of money. That's just the ones who are listed. Now, if you go to the Protégé website, DJ Khaled will be very prominent there. Jason Alexander will be very prominent there. I assume Will Smith at one point was prominent there, but probably is not as prominent as he was. Although I will tell people you cannot get slapped through the video screen, so it's pretty safe. Um, but here's the problem. So let's think about the dynamic. With Cameo, the beauty of Cameo is that it is super easy and transparent, and it actually works for some pretty low-level 
D-list type celebrities. So my wife and daughter will sometimes watch 90 Day Fiance. It's basically a show I call Bad Decisions on Television. And the people on it are losers, to put it plainly. And some of these losers are on Cameo making huge amounts of money because if you're famous, people will still want you to wish them a happy birthday. Okay, great. So somebody who is a loser can make a lot of money on Cameo. If you're a loser, you can't make money on protege because nobody wants a loser to discover them. They only want winners to discover them. And more importantly, they want winners who have actual power. So of course they're featuring like the DJ Khaled's of the world who could potentially launch someone's career. Guess what? This is not DJ Khaled's main thing. DJ Khaled is on it doing a couple of things because he invested in it and he thinks he's gonna make a huge pile of money. Anybody who is actually capable of serving as a mentor to these proteges is going to do this on an extremely limited basis. There is not enough money in the world to justify uh, somebody like DJ Khaled doing this on a regular basis. And as a result, it is just not going to happen. Cameo, hey, you know what? Somebody like Snoop Dogg says, hey, for a thousand bucks, I'll read your 15 second clip or I'll give you your 15 second message. Hey, guess what? That's 15 seconds. Snoop doesn't have to think. But if he were on this and he were actually like listening to someone's rap and delivering some sort of feedback, he's like, okay, yeah, you know what? That should cost about $25,000. How many people out there are going to pay that? So I think this is a, a fraud, a sham. I think it's going to fall apart. It's all hype. And I predict it's going to die. Eight and a half million dollars may not be enough to figure out the product market fit here, but it might be. And... I, you know, I just think there's a, there's a sort of a pay it forward uh, ethic at work here where it's not all about the money with these influencers. Scott, again, think about the number of things that have to happen. Somebody has to say, I want to pay it for it. And they have to decide out of my busy lifestyle where I could instead be driving a Ferrari or hanging out with supermodels. I'm going to get on my computer and listen to some wannabes who are delivering their performances and sort through like a hundred shitty, shitty, really terrible performances to find maybe one decent one. What are the chances they're going to do that? Well, I, I hear you, Chris. And so, um, <laughs> you know, we, by the way, this, this, sadly, we probably, we probably can't invest in this one because after the founders hear me talk about them like this, I'm not sure it's going to work out. Uh, not necessarily. They may be able to convince you, you know, that the, um, it would actually make it a better wrong. story. They make it, it a better make story. It a wonderful story. And I, I think, you know, I think they can hear the humor in our voices, right? So you're skeptical and I think they have a decent shot. It's a seed round though. So we can wait and watch and see what happens. Yep. And, and let me again emphasize, I didn't believe in cameo either. And I was wrong about that one. Well, the, the, the thing you learn about venture investing is you're wrong a lot more than you're right. So let's, um, let's keep going. And it's, uh, it's next is a couple of deals in guess what the web three space. So, um, yes, these this are... is a place where valuations, by the way, have not seemed to, uh, to go down at all. There's enough money chasing web three out there that I don't know when the, uh, the valuations are going to, um, change but as for now they seem to be really inflated if you have a deal and you're not raising money you better write web 3 on it somewhere and you'll probably double your odds of getting some capital in. 
I literally have a number of companies and entrepreneurs I work with that have put in a Web3 angle purely because of the insanity. There's no particular reason to put it in, but they've slapped it in anyways and are getting traction because they talked at a Web3 conference and people are like, oh my God, that sounds great. Yeah. All right, let's talk about these two as a pair because I feel like they really pair together in an interesting way. Uh, Espresso Systems and Socket. And I have done the work of actually looking them up because it is hard to understand the world of Web3 if you're not used to it. And they actually do two very different things, but they're addressing the fundamental issues that currently plague the blockchain technology stack. So the blockchain technology stack has two key problems. One is it is a terrible transaction mechanism, and two is that there are so many of them, and interoperability is a huge problem. And Espresso and Socket try to address each of those in turn. Espresso, and I'm going to read this to you because I want to go, I want to emphasize this is what they say on their website. Espresso Systems is developing Espresso, a layer one blockchain system that combines proof of stake consensus and a ZK rollup mechanism to achieve high throughput and low fees. Espresso has also developed configurable asset privacy for Ethereum, CAPE, an application that can run on any EVM blockchain and will eventually run on Espresso natively. CAPE enables asset creators to offer users customized privacy guarantees. Now that well, explained everything, uh, right? Clear. Scott? Yeah. Okay. So let's just move on. <laughs> yeah. Well, so there's well, a lot of jargon in Web three, and I will unpack it. A having trouble. Bit. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. So I, I, that was just to illustrate a point. This is what they put on their website so that people understand what they're doing. So what it means? I is, think they put it on there so people won't understand. That they'll maybe just that's look true. at it and say, "Wow, these guys are so smart, and they know that everything about Web three, and so let's just you know adopt their stuff." So let's begin. So layer one blockchain system, that means that it is a blockchain system that people actually do stuff on, combines proof of stake consensus, which is the emerging thing that people are trying to do proof of stake, i.e. it's based around people who prove that they actually own a piece of this currency as opposed to proof of work, which is the original thing behind Bitcoin, which is you run your computer's CPUs at high gear and consume enough energy to heat a home for three years in order to mint an NFT. Uh, that was the way Bitcoin ensured its sort of security and privacy. It's turned out to be a disaster. Proof of stake is the alternative to that. That should cost a lot less energy and much lower what they call gas fees. And a ZK roll-up mechanism, ZK stands for zero knowledge roll-up mechanism. What it basically means is they are aggregating together different transactions into a single meta transaction and that way they only pay the fees on that one meta transaction and then it basically unzips like a zip file on the other end into the component transactions so that's what it means in terms of zk rollup mechanism configurable asset privacy for ethereum just means that they're going to run something on any ethereum virtual machine that's what evm stands for blockchain to allow more granularity for privacy so the overall message here is we're developing a technology that's going to help overcome the core technological shortcomings of current blockchain systems and if they're able to actually do that, that is enormously valuable because these are the things that are holding Web3 back from actual useful applications. The question is, can they do it? Well, this is a seed round. They raised $32 million from Electric Capital and Greylock. Of course, Greylock is a, an amazing firm, and my co-author, Reid Hoffman, happens to be a partner there. So, Well, that's, uh, it's also Sequoia is in this deal, and so is Slow Ventures. So, Sequoia as well? My God. Yeah. <laughs> All right. That's pretty rare. You know, so, that is an 
pack. That's a very unusual combination, which it, it alone would merit taking a look. And so this is the thing. I mean, if Espresso can do what it says and they can get adoption, it could actually be completely huge. But we have to wait and see, and part of it is getting to know it better. But you can tell just from our conversation, it takes a lot of work to figure out what all this stuff means. Uh, Scott, you guys can't see it because this is a audio medium, but Scott is literally putting his hands to his forehead like he has a headache as he's trying to figure these things out. Yeah, you know, it, it, when it, when engineers get involved in anything or scientists, they create lingo that makes the whole thing impenetrable by the, the, the mere mortals that the rest of us are, right? And so uh, I, I, Chris mentioned earlier that we're more mature. I just see this happening over and over again, and it, it never helps them. It just makes them feel smart. And so here we are again with Web3. I think there's some really interesting stuff going on here. They're solving some real problems with the, as Chris mentioned, um, how differentiated are they? Well, we've seen a lot of people saying, you know, we have this really awesome new layer that's going to be super fast transactions and cost nothing. And here's our statistics. And so it's, it's sort of a, like a feature war around solving these two problems. And I think they're throwing in security and privacy, which is actually, I think that's the real differentiator here. Correct. So correct. People have said, we're going to do proof of stake. We're going to be less, less uh, costly and more efficient. And that's what's powered things like Solana Labs and Ava Labs and avalanche and so on and so forth but you know i think espresso is saying hey you know we can go beyond that because there's other problems beyond just transaction costs that we have to solve now the second company is socket and socket has money led by framework but also uh, lightspeed venture partners and mark cuban that's what coinbase ventures and we picked it up because of lightspeed ventures it's actually a much smaller seed round of five million dollars so it's very early but what Socket does is it acts, it tackles just one of those key problems, which is interoperability of blockchains and for the sake of moving money around. And the way things work right now is it's kind of pretty crazy, right? If you want to do anything across chains, you generally have to find what's called a bridge that moves the currency or value from one place to another. It's very inefficient. And literally you can't do it in most of these apps. Like you have to go separately out to some sort of exchange or some sort of bridge provider and transfer assets and then come back and try to use your app. So it's this insane, really difficult to use thing. And what Socket is doing is they're creating what they call the Socket liquidity layer. So it's a meta layer that allows them to aggregate all these different bridges. They don't do the bridging themselves necessarily, but they aggregate the bridges. They also uh, allow P2P settlements. So it's sort of like a third market. So I don't know if you are familiar with Wall Street lingo, but you know we have these stock exchanges, NASDAQ and New York Stock Exchange, but we also have these private pools where people are doing sort of peer-to-peer -peer settlements that allows them to bypass the exchanges and save on the various exchange fees. This is very similar to that in the sense that it's going to connect you to the bridges, which are like the exchanges, but it's also going to allow P2P settlements. And the overall idea is this allows you to not have to natively deal with bridging these apps. Socket will do it for you. And they've used it to create something called Bungie, which is a beta app. It lets you just transfer assets from any chain to any other chain. And it tells you in advance, hey, because we've aggregated all together, here's the bridges we're going to use. Here's the estimated gas fee. Here's how long we estimate it's going to take. And so it's helping people navigate this extremely complicated world. Wow. So 
do we give it a 10 out of 10 then on network effects? I mean, it, it seems like with these dark pools that the more peer to peer you can do, the more money you can save. So until it, it, we know it might for be a fact, take most here. Until we know for a fact that that's going to be the predominant method versus the bridges themselves, I think it's difficult to give it a 10 out of 10. But we could kick it up to 10 out of 10 if it is apparent that these dark pools are the main way that things are being transacted through Socket. Yeah, okay. I mean, I think that's definitely their intention. The question is, can they get it to that point? Because they have to faithfully serve the bridges. Otherwise, the bridges are going to cut them off or not want to work with them. They're going to find ways to make it difficult. And again, until they reach a certain scale, the bridges are the way you have to go because the dark pool liquidity just isn't enough. Yeah, well, it's fascinating. And it's, um, you know, it's 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 the, the guts, the platforms that all of these uh, crypto coins and tokens and NFTs, that seems to be where a lot of the activity and investment is right now, is just making, trying to be the rails that all those transactions run on. And there's a fierce knife fight going on as to who's going to actually win the day there. Yeah. So I think there is one last company we want to talk with, and I'll touch on it briefly because it's our most recent investment. And that well, is a company we, called We Plaz. didn't score these deals. They both got 78. We don't have to go through all of it. Yeah. it, it they just didn't have high enough scores across the board. They, they were perfect with market size, gross margin, org scalability, op scalability, um, just like an enterprise software company is perfect in those things. It's, it's the first two that they just didn't quite meet the test. You know, we gave them a nine and an eight. Uh, it's, it's just like there's no real viral growth going on here and um, distribution is not straightforward. And that's always true with enterprise software as well. Nearly always true. Sometimes it's not. Uh, and then winner take most, as we just said, eh, can't quite get to 10 on those. But 78 is a really strong score, which is why we're talking about these deals in the first place. Exactly. So the last deal we want to talk about is our most recent investment, which is Lev. That's levcapital.com. And what it is, is it is a managed marketplace for commercial mortgages. And what's interesting about commercial mortgages, you're probably familiar with residential mortgages. That's a market that has been pretty well served. We have the rocket mortgages of the world. And, you know, it's pretty straightforward to do a residential mortgage. I personally oh, you just have walk into your mortgage broker. You say, what's the best rate you can get me? And they say, well, who are you? And they plug in all your, you know, they grab all, they, they, they grab your credit rating and they plug it in and, and they'll be working with 10 lenders and the one with the best rate, they'll say, well, here, you know, like Wells Fargo will give you a, uh, a low rate. And so why don't you use Wells Fargo for your, for your loan and we can get you approved in moments. That is so not the experience with commercial loans. Exactly. Commercial loans remains fragmented, opaque, slow and painful. It is not uncommon for it to take two weeks to come up with a commercial mortgage that you're going to use. There's and nothing this is, off the rack. Everything is custom made. And we actually did due diligence. We actually talked with one of your relatives, Scott, who is in this business, who was like, oh my God, yeah, this is a nightmare scenario. There is so much money available. If you can do this, this is incredible. Yeah, yeah. No talks about it as really slow and holding up deals and a pain in the neck. So it's, it's a real opportunity to use liquidity in a sleepy market that's probably still using fax machines for all we know. 
Yeah. So in terms of Lev, it's a company that's been growing very rapidly. Uh, that's one of the reasons why we got involved, obviously. We really like the founder, uh, Yakov, who is incredibly thoughtful. We really enjoyed our interactions with him. And of course, we scored this well. We gave it a 10 out of 10 on winner take most because it is a marketplace. It is meets all the ca classic characteristics that I describe as being important for network effects. It is a large transaction. It is a complicated transaction with a lot of differentiation. It is a high consideration transaction. So as a result, there's a strong incentive for there to be one big winner. Viral growth or distribution, it's a relatively small industry. It's relatively easy to reach everyone in the industry. So we gave it a nine. The product market fit, when you think about going from taking two weeks to get options to maybe uh, an hour or two to get options, that's just a huge benefit. Uh, and they've been proving it because they have originated a huge number of these commercial mortgages measured in dollar value. So it's been proven that it's working. So we gave it a nine. Market size, nearly infinite, 10 out of 10. Something that people may not appreciate, which we didn't know until we started researching this, is that most commercial mortgages are renewed or renegotiated every five years so unlike you know you or i buying a house and putting it on a 30-year mortgage actually scott you recently bought a place did you do a mortgage and if so what term did you do i did not i oh. sold my other house and, and bought this condo and so i didn't have to i didn't have to go through the process I've got, you should have I've borrowed money scott just think <laughs> about it. you could have borrowed money at like three percent four percent and now you'd be seeing that debt be wiped out by inflation uh yeah i just don't like that personally I, so that not my cup of tea and if i can avoid it i do well it's a good thing you're not in private equity that's <laughs> a reason for that <laughs> yeah i was talking to a friend of mine actually who's in the biotech venture world and you know what really frustrates me chris and i'm gonna go on a mm -hmm. tangent here for just a second mm -hmm. people talk about private equity is this sort of unified monolith and there are it's so it's very balkanized. And when we, when you say private equity, what you mean is buyout, right? So Correct. you're leveraging up, you're bringing a, a whole pile of, of equity in, but you're also levering up, you know, three, four, five, ten 10 to one and buying a company completely and then turning around and selling it three years later for twice as much. And because you're levered, the equity, the appreciation of equity is enormous. And that's sort of really sort of that's serious private equity is is in the buyout world venture we all know we're talking about it right now but there's two kinds of venture and life sciences venture capital is a completely different world from tech venture capital and like we don't know each other and we don't cross paths and we you know we wave as we uh, see each other maybe at a conference or something but we, we're usually not at the same conferences it's, it's a really different world and it's interesting i was talking to him and he said yeah valuations public public valuations have been cut in half on biotech companies and that's flowing downhill to all of the sort of mid to late stage companies that are you know making great progress on their science but haven't haven't gotten uh FDA approval and they're in that track. And it's, it's suddenly become really hard to raise the money that was pretty easy before when public markets were receptive. Very so back cool. to left, back to mortgages. Yeah, so back to mortgages, just to finish out the scoring, uh, from a gross margin perspective, they're not able to take a very large take rate, and they're also originating some loans themselves uh, to generate more revenues. But, you know, we gave them a seven 
out of 10. I think that uh, if they were pure marketplace, we would probably give them slightly higher. But, you know, they're making the decision because you, to some extent, it's like Google making phones. Does Google want to make phones? Not really, but they want to make sure there's enough liquidity and being able to originate loans yourself helps get to liquidity. Org scalability and op scalability. Op scalability is very good, but org scalability, it still takes people until they get to the point where they can automate these things. And again, they're working on it. But while they're still much, much better than a traditional commercial mortgage provider in terms of the number of people hours that are used, they still need people. And so they have grown their organization. We gave it a five out of 10. That's still enough to get them to an 85, which is a very solid score. Very solid score. And, you know, it's just, it's, it, it's going to take a little while to get the bankers to change how they make commercial loans, which is really what we're asking here. We're, we're saying, can you please standardize on this set of criteria? And so when we have someone show up with that looks like this, you can approve it really fast because you know exactly how you're going to operate against all of these different uh, metrics. So they have, they have to basically invent all of that and get the banks to buy in and build technology around it. And it's going to take a little while. So meanwhile, there's some white glove stuff going on. And so it's not as scalable as it will be. Yep. And that's okay, because again, with Blitzscaling, we're thinking about the future. It's not just about where people are now, it's where they're going to be in the next few years, five years, and 10 years. Although, again, we hope to only hold for about five years or so. Yeah. All right. So that is uh, the end of another fantastic round of Blitzscalable deals. We are, of course, close to the end of April, which means we're going to start this whole cycle all over again very shortly. Yes, indeed. It's it's one of the funnest times of the month for me having these uh, podcasts with you, Chris. So once again, super enjoyed it. Awesome. Well, everyone, thank you for being a part of this. Hope that you learned a few things. Please do tell your friends about this. If you love hearing these deals, you love hearing these discussions, share it with wherever you have friends who are interested in podcasts. And on behalf of Scott Johnson and Blitzscaling Ventures, thank you so much for listening.